We're in Judges chapter 14 this morning. We're only going to look at really four verses in Judges. Uh, Manoah, the father of Samson, he and his wife, they have a son of notoriety, Samson. And they've been instructed by God how to raise this son. Samson is to be a Nazarite. From the very womb of his mother, he's to be a Nazarite. God has instructed Samson's mother in her prenatal care what she is to eat and what she is not to eat and drink and so forth. But a Nazarite was simply a person that was separated unto God. Usually, it was a separation of around six months or so, but Samson is to be a Nazarite all the days of his life. John the Baptist was a Nazarite. And John was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. Now, Nazarite couldn't eat or drink anything they uh, just wanted at any moment. And they were particularly to stay away from the grape. No wine, no grapes, nothing unclean. Then they were not to touch a dead animal or even a dead human being. And the list would go on about what a Nazarite was and was not to do. But Jesus himself has come to Manoah and his wife, and he's given them instructions on how to raise Samson, this Nazarite child. Now, if God comes and visits you and tells you how to raise your child, you usually would listen. <laughs> it appears Samson was spoiled rotten. The parents are probably a little bit afraid to discipline this boy, but uh, discipline all children need. And I can understand where Manoah and his wife probably were hesitant to discipline this child that God has spoke to them about how to raise. So let's read Judges 14, 1 through 4. Samson has been born. He is now a young man, probably in his early 20s. And Samson went down to Timnah, and he saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah, of the daughters of the Philistine. Now therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his, to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had domination over Israel. It's interesting to look at the progression we will see in Samson's life. And the very first thing we read of Samson is he went down to Timnah, a city of the Philistines. 
there, Samson sees this beautiful Philistine girl, and he run home. He runs home, and he orders mom and dad get her for me as a wife, for she pleases me well. I.e., Samson simply lusts for this Philistine girl. Mom and dad are upset. Hey, son. Of all the Israelite young women, you want a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And we can almost hear Samson, but her purdy dad, <laughs> you know, you can almost hear him say this. Samson's attitude towards his parents is one of disrespect. You can't avoid it. This prideful, rebellious attitude will transfer from Samson's parents to his attitude towards God and to his attitude of being a Nazarite. And this attitude of Samson, it goes unchecked and it will be Samson's downfall. Verse 4, we read, but mom and dad did not know God was seeking a reason to move against the Philistines, against Israel's enemies. Whenever I am puzzled, whenever I am troubled by events or behavior of others, I begin to wonder why other people do not think and act like I think they should. That bothers me. Just this past week, I had an elderly gentleman pull into my driveway. He's in a brand new fancy pickup, and I'm out in my backyard. And I think this man is a local politician. This guy, I'm thinking, wants me to vote for him. But he surprised me. <laughs> he sees my pecan trees, and he wants to know what do I do about squirrels? And I almost went, huh? <laughs> so our conversation goes from squirrels to politics. He's in my yard, so I begin to talk about my Christian beliefs. Which brings him to ask a question. What church do you go to? So I tell him. But I didn't tell him I was pastor. <laughs> so if he shows up, he'll be surprised. <laughs> and I was puzzled, you know, that God would bring a man into my backyard to ask about squirrels in trees. You ever wonder, what is this all about? <laughs> Samson's parents did not know God is seeking an occasion to move against their enemies, the Philistines. Now, I earnestly believe we are to be bold and faithful in our witness of Jesus. We're called to do that. But here's the thing. Only God knows, only God knows who will hear our witness, our proclamation of the gospel. Not everyone's going to accept the goodness of God just because we say it's true. As a witness, as a messenger of God, it is not up to us 
to decide who we give the good news to. A messenger is simply that. He is a messenger. And all Christians have spoken of the Lord to skeptics. If you've lived life, you've spoken to skeptics. You've spoken to hard-hearted persons. And they often, usually most of the time, they reject our words. But we're not to take that rejection personally. We must understand only God forgives sin. Only God can turn a heart from being sinful to himself to want repentance. Isaiah the prophet is quoted several times in the New Testament, quoted by Jesus, concerning God's forgiveness. Let me read you one of those. Matthew 13, verses 14 through 16. We hear the prophecy of Isaiah, and it's, and it's fulfilled, and it says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes <clears throat> they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn or repent, so that I should heal them. But blessed are the eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. The good news of the gospel is foolishness to many people. They can't understand it, and it just seems like a folk tale or something. <clears throat> Unfortunately, there are many evangelists and churches that teach a formula of forgiveness or becoming a Christian. Say the right words. Be sorrowful in your heart. Be sorrowful for your behavior and your sins, and God will automatically forgive you. That's not necessarily repentance. Judas, one of the disciples, was truly sorry for betraying Jesus. He was so sorrowful that he went out and hung himself, killed himself. But Judas did not receive forgiveness. There was true sorrow there. Some people hear the gospel, the good news, and they don't want to understand. Their hearts are hardened. They're against the gospel. And their inner being is dull, even dead to the things of God. Their understanding is like uh, Matthew says, they're hard of hearing. Or their eyes, you know, they're blind to understanding. And many of us have encountered these kind of people. But notice Jesus' conclusion. He says, lest they should understand in their hearts. Turn and truly repent and have me heal them or forgive them. Why in the world would I go down this path? Why mention unforgiveness 
to a group of Christians. And I believe most of you are Christians, no question about that. Because some people we witness to, our declaration of the good news, it removes their excuse for not accepting the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus has personally sent you and I at times to unbelievers just as a witness against them. But we hear Jesus say here, I will not be forced to give forgiveness to a person who has simply found the right words. Quote, unquote, a formula of phrases, a formula of words. Only Jesus can see the motive of a heart, the beliefs of a heart. Only Jesus can truly give repentance and turn us away from sin. Now, you and I, we're not allowed to judge another person's heart. That's one area we cannot go. God does not allow us to judge another person's heart. So let me attempt to explain true forgiveness. First of all, the biggest decision any of us will ever make in life is what do I do with my sins that separate me from God? That's the biggest. Or as the rich young ruler said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Notice you don't earn eternal life. You don't work for your salvation. So if you will, turn to Romans 10, and we'll look at verses 1 through 13, where Paul writes to the Romans. Romans 10, 1 through 13. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they be saved. For I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord over all, is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
Paul, by his own words, was a Pharisee among the Pharisee. Paul was very happy, very proud to be a Jew. And he had a mission in life. And his heart's desire was, and it was a constant prayer of Paul's, that his fellow brethren, the fellow Jews, Israel, that they would be saved. We Christians are criticized sometimes for using the term being saved. We hear scoffers declare, what are you saved from? Well, we're saved from hell. How about that for a starter? Eternal separation from God is something to be saved from. Paul's fellow Jews have a zeal for God. They, the Jews, they're ignorant of God's righteousness. They adhere to the law given by Moses, but there's one major problem. One slip-up, one breaking of one law, and you've broken the whole law. Salvation is a one-on-one personal happening between one singular person and Jesus. The Godhead, they're adamant that there has to be a sacrifice for the sins of man to have a right standing with God. In the Mosaic law, that sacrifice was usually a lamb. A lamb had to die to cover my sins, not wipe them all away, but to cover them, just where God would look upon them. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is complete forgiveness, and he died once for all the sins of all mankind. And here Paul gives us, if you want a formula, here it is, for salvation. Confess with your mouth. For the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Now the confession is easy. It's open, easy to do. But here's the clincher. You must believe in your heart. And who can see the heart? Believing I think is probably misunderstood many times. Believing can be ambiguous. To believe is not only to give mental agreement to something. To believe is to trust in God. Putting God's will, God's word above my own thinking, above my own reasoning. To believe is to realize Jesus is the only way of forgiveness of sin, period, plain. That's it. No other way. Does that sound singular? It is. It's narrow, but be glad there is a way. Don't fight against the narrowness of Christianity, except that there is a way. But don't allow anyone to deceive you on this. Salvation is one-on-one, like I said, singular. It's Jesus and nothing else. It's not Jesus and baptism, although we should be baptized. It's not Jesus and confirmation in many uh, 
what we call high church, are confirmed. It's not Jesus and Mary. She is not our co-redemptionist, sorry. Believing has to be, it is required of God to be a heart issue. A deep down inside of me recognition as Jesus being the Son of God and my Savior. He saved us through his death and resurrection. And he alone did this. This is where any formula would break down. Believing is an issue of my heart, not my words. It's an issue of heart. And the very moment I truly believe, the very instant that I truly believe, I become saved. It's not my words. The thief on the cross that we read about. One of the shortest salvation prayers around. Lord, remember me. Jesus said, I will. You're in my kingdom. Now, in a moment, I'm going to give us all an opportunity to be saved. It's not a bad thing. And it's by confession in a prayer. But here's what I cannot do. I cannot believe for you. Believing is an act of faith, an act of my free will. So I want you to all stand. We're going to go through the sinner's prayer. <laughs> and if you say it and you believe it and you mean it, you can be saved. And that's not a bad deal. So you repeat. I'll say it and you repeat after me. I know it's simplistic, but that's okay. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross and dying for my sins. I have sinned many times in my life. Please forgive me. I know you rose from the dead to save me. I want to live my life for you. So help me live a good life. I know you hear me and I rejoice in my salvation. And if you prayed that and you believed that and you meant that, you are saved. It's that simple. Let me close in prayer, and then we'll have Mike close us in the song. Father God, thank you for putting it in our hearts to believe in you. Thank you for pursuing us while we were so separated from you, Lord. You came to seek and to save the lost. Lord, we were lost till we encountered you. And I pray that each and every person that prayed that prayer would go on to live a good life before you, Lord. Give these lives meaning. Be their savior. Be their companion. Be their all in all. And thank you, Lord, that salvation is a free gift. Thank you for 
hearing our prayers. Thank you for saving us, Lord. And we'll be eternally grateful for your goodness. And we pray this in Jesus' name.